going to start today with a question that I came across. I was reading a book, a really neat Christian book called Living the Life You Were Meant to Live. And the author, um, this whole book is built on biblical principles, and, and he raises this idea that I had never thought of before. And he doesn't ask it as a question, but I'm going to ask it as a question for you guys. It's this, am I making a living or making a life? Am I making a living or making a life? And of course, inherent in the question is just this observation that there's, there's a difference between the two, right? You could make a living without making a life. And, you know, don't tell any of our high school or college students, but it's possible perhaps too that you could make a life without making a living. I wonder which one are you making or, or which one are you making more of? Are you making more of a living than you are of a life or are you making more of a life than you are of a living. I was at breakfast this morning while I was re- reviewing all this and praying for you guys, and uh, there was a, a retiree couple in there. And don't worry, it's not any of you guys, okay? I don't think this couple had the joy of the Lord in their lives. And I don't mean to be judgmental, but uh, they, they were just very unhappy with each other, with their food, with the life in general. They were just unhappy. And I thought, boy, that's ironic. They're kind of a personification of this because it looks like they probably have worked the last 30 or 40 years to make a living and to prepare. And now they're in a, you know, a, a top retiree destination of the country. They've probably done fairly well at making a living and they look like they've, you know, done okay. Uh, but they, for all they've taken in and for how hard they've worked, you know, and I'm judging from the outside here, but it, they didn't seem like people who had made a life. They just seemed unhappy with each other and with life. I wonder if you've ever wondered this, maybe not in these exact words, but have you ever worked and worked and worked to, to pay the bills or to get ahead or to retire uh, or, or just to get to a next goal and maybe you got what you wanted or maybe you didn't get what you wanted, but either way in your exhaustion, you eventually start to wonder, when did I stop living? I mean, wh- what happened to the joy? What happened to the freedom? What happened to the passion. I was thinking that as the, because they're sitting there and they're, they're unhappy. And then he knocks over the salt shaker or the pepper and, and his wife just gets so mad at him for knocking over this, you know, at a restaurant, the, the salt and pepper shaker. I mean, total crisis, right? And, 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 and I thought, you know, there was probably a time 30 or 40 years ago when they, they were in their late teens or their early twenties and their relationship had life and joy and passion, and you know what? What happened in the last thirty or forty years? And sometimes I wonder that. Sometimes we wonder that in our lives. You know what happened to the carefreeness? What happened to the freedom? What happened to the joy? What happened to the passion? We strive to build a great life, and and we end up working so hard at building a great life that we end up merely surviving. You could put the question this way: Am I just surviving? or really living? How would you answer that today? Are you in survival mode or are you in living mode? It's easy to get into surviving mode, getting the kids to school, getting to the social security uh, deadline or the Medicare deadline, getting to the doctor's office, planning for the next step. We move from the grocery store to home to 
Walmart to work. We've got our usual stops, and every once in a while we stop, and, and hopefully we stop. I wish this couple would have stopped 30 years ago and asked themselves, are we really living or are we just surviving? Are we making a living or are we making a life? This is why men have midlife crises, right? Because they ask this question. And the answer is, no, I'm not living, I'm surviving. This is why women have midlife crises. This is why people have affairs. This is why uh, nowadays there's a thing for my generation, the millennials, called the quarter-life crisis. There really is. It's a real thing. You can look it up. You know, you go to college, you get your master's degree, you get your job, you get six years in, and you're making a bunch of money, and you wonder, whatever happened to living? Whatever happened to life and, and freedom? I, I, was, I was told by a, a great speaker to never read from a book. <laughs> but I can't help myself. I'm such a nerd. So this, book, this is so great um, because this book is not written by a Christian. This is about, about artists and artistry. And uh, this paragraph, I remember when I read this, I thought, this guy just summed up. I've never heard a preacher put it this well, including myself. So I'm going to read his words. The desire to consume is a kind of lust. We long to have the world flow through us like air or food. We are thirsty and hungry for something that can only be carried inside our bodies. But consumer goods merely bait this lust. They do not satisfy it. The consumer of commodities is invited to a meal without passion a consumption that leads to neither satisfaction nor fire. He is a stranger seduced into feeding on the drippings of someone else's capital without benefit of its inner nourishment. Sorry, it's getting a little nerdy here, okay? But just let me finish. Focus on these words. He is hungry at the end of the meal, depressed and weary, as we all feel when lust has dragged us from the house and led us to nothing. Oh, man. He just, he, he gets it. <laughs> he gets it that, that we work so hard and we remain so empty. And, and, and the, you go on the cruise or you go to Disneyland or you get the grandkids or you get the house and, and, and there's still an emptiness there. He, he gets it and he put it better than I've ever been able to put it. Well, have you ever felt that way? And if so, what do we do about this? I mean, what does God have to say about this? Well, I think God knew we'd struggle with this because he gave us not just words about what it is to actually live a life. He didn't just give us words. He gave us a person who lived it out, the person of Jesus Christ. And here's one way to summarize some of what Jesus had to say about living a full life. It's this. Serving is the difference between surviving and living. If you feel like you're not living and you're just surviving, it could very well be that there's not a lot of serving going on in your life. I've seen this in ministry now that I'm, I'm like a professional server, right? You know, uh, I used to serve in the church as a lay person. 
And, and then uh, it got really stressful with family and work. I was putting in so many hours serving at the church that finally we said, well, maybe it would make sense for this to be a job. So now, now I serve for a job. That's confusing, right? And it's easy to start serving for the right reason. And you either, maybe you just get too busy to continue serving, or maybe you just get into the habit of serving and it becomes just a thing you do. And you're not from the heart giving. You're not from the heart pouring yourself out. You're not from the heart laying yourself down for others. You're just going about your routine. And, and, and when we stop serving, when serving gets pushed out of our lives by just busyness, you know, between, between everything the kids have going on and work and all these other things, there's just not any time to serve. When serving gets pushed out of your life or when you're still serving physically, but you're no longer serving in your heart, that's when you start to feel like you're not living anymore. That's when you start to feel like you're surviving. There's this great irony, you know, when Jesus said, if, if anyone wants to gain his life, he has to lose it. <laughs> if you really want to get life, you lay your life down. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. One question I ask myself as I'm preparing a message is, why do God's people need to hear this? You know, what is it that they need to hear? What is it they need to do? Why do they need to hear this? And when I got to why do they need to hear this, I thought, well, they're not going to hear it anywhere else. <laughs> you're, you're not going to hear it uh, on your television. You're not going to hear it most likely on your radio. You're not going to hear this, uh, this uh, ironic message anywhere else. It's the opposite of what we think, that, that life comes by giving our life, that giving is living, that serving is the difference between surviving and living. And this is a principle that's true in every dimension of your life. This is true in your home. If your home has become a place of survival rather than of joy, well, serving is the difference between surviving and really living. Has your career become something that you used to be excited about, but it's not anymore? Well, serving is the difference. Has, has your church become something that you used to be excited about, but now it's kind of, yeah, well, you know, serving. It'll make the difference between surviving wherever you are and really living. So let's read about this. Tons of scriptures about this, but let's start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul's writing, he says, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy. Now, this is therefore, you know, if you've heard much Bible teaching, you've heard when you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it? Therefore, because the word therefore points back, you know, the word therefore says we're building on top of what we've set up until now. Well, I'm going to have a hard time summarizing this therefore because it's 11 chapters of Romans, Okay. But the bottom line of this, therefore, is, is what we just celebrated at communion. It's that when we were lost in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. It's that the wages of our sin is death. The right paycheck that you and I deserve for our sins is death. It's eternal separation from God. But God loved us so much, and he demonstrated his love on the cross for us so that we don't have to get the consequences for our sins. So Paul's saying, in light of the fact that you were separated from God, you were a stranger from God, and especially uh, for those of us who are Gentiles, who are not ethnically Jewish, we were not technically God's chosen people. 
And yet God, when he sent Christ, not only did he send a sacrifice for the Jewish people, but for all the world. God desires that all people would come to salvation. And on the cross, Christ took the penalty for everyone's sin. The question is, have you accepted his free gift? Have you accepted the payment that he took in your place? That's a choice that only you can make. And Paul's saying, in light of this, when we really understand how big of a deal this is, that we as fallen, twisted, broken creatures were lost in the darkness, separated from God, and we were headed for an eternity of eternal anguish because we're separated from God. That in that situation, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, because we were already condemned by our own choices, but so that whoever believes in him might be saved. When we really get that, when we really get that that God reached out to us, in light of that, Paul says, I urge you, okay, this is your choice, but Paul as a spiritual leader saying, for your own good, I urge you. I cannot encourage you enough to do this. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of spiritual worship. I love those lines. This is your act of spiritual worship. You know, worship uh, used to be, uh, especially for the, the Jewish believers in the Old Testament, it was a very physical thing, that they would go to the temple. Uh, they would go to a physical place. And, you know, there was a physical slaying of animals as, as pictures of what would come when Jesus would, would be slain for us. Worship was a very physical thing. And even in Christian history and in a lot of Christian traditions, worship was a very physical thing, uh, kneeling together, physical acts. Uh, it, we, we probably live in one of the churches that has, uh, in church history, that has some of the least number of kind of physical things that we do as acts of worship, uh, or symbolically anyway. And the reason for that is sometimes people get so caught up in these outward acts of worship that their heart's not in it anymore, right? God, he's not after that. There's actually a verse in the Old Testament where he says, um, I, I don't desire sacrifice and the fat of rams. What I desire is a broken and a contrite heart. So what God's looking for is not external acts of worship alone. He's looking for a heart of worship. But here's the thing, a heart of worship will work itself out through a life of worship, through actual actions. So what does that look like for us? Does that mean we need to build a temple? Does that mean we need to, you know, get an altar up here? No, it's, it, it happens in your workplace, happens in your home, happens with your computer mouse. It, it happens when you open up scripture, when you say there's a lot of stuff going on in my life, but I'm going to open up God's word and I'm going to feed on his word. That's a spiritual act of worship. And Paul says, give your bodies. I urge you, if you really understand what Christ has done for you, if you want to understand it more, if you want to thank God for what he's done for you, then give him your body and tell him every day, Lord, my life is a living sacrifice. Jesus, just as you came not to be served, but to serve, I'm here now as your body on earth to serve. And here's the irony. Sacrificial serving leads to joyful living. When you empty yourself out, that's when you get filled up. When you lay your life down for others, that's when you get lifted up. Sacrificial serving 
Oh, it's hard. It's not always joyful. It's not always great. But in the end, it leads to joyful living. And it also leads to spiritual growth. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Have you ever thought of your body that way? (laughs) Your body has the potential to be a living sacrifice. I mean, if you're like me, you know, my, my body disgusts me. <laughs> and the older I get, the more it disgusts me. You know, I, I think I, it's, it's just a gross thing. And in here, Scripture says it can be an act of worship. I mean, this is incredible. Do you really, when you look at yourself in the mirror, have you ever thought of that? You know, that this can be an act of worship. God's got a sense of humor, right? But, but, but for you personally, if you, if you really thought about that, if you realized that your life, your body, what, what you choose to do with it can be an act of worship that's pleasing to God. Well, Paul says a little more here in verse 2. Here's part of what that looks like. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And that word conform, uh, you've maybe heard, is, is a Greek word that has to do with the idea of a mold. You know, if, if you were a candle maker, uh, if, you, if you were making something out of wax and you'd fashion a mold and then you'd pour the wax into it and the, mold, the wax dries and, and then you pull the thing out and it's the shape of the mold, right? It has been conformed. It has taken the shape of the mold. And Paul says here, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a, there's a mold, there's a pattern of this world system. And your life shouldn't look like that. And what's the pattern of this world system around us? Well, it's that I live for my pleasure. It's that happiness is the supreme goal, right? So you'll hear people, poor, misguided people say, well, God wants me to be happy, right? Well, no. God wants you to be holy, And when you're holy, you will have joy and you will have purpose and you will have meaning. God doesn't just desire for you to be happy, okay? Now, you're sure you'll be very happy in heaven, okay? But we live in a society that's so much about me and my happiness that we even twist God to become a servant of our happiness instead of us being servants of of him. And so Paul says, if you're a follower of Christ and you understand how good God is and how big he is, don't fit the mold of this world where you think life is all about me and my happiness. And here's the footnote on that. This is for your own good. Because if you live life for your own happiness, the best case scenario is that you end up like the couple I saw this morning. The the more likely scenario is that you end up divorced The more likely scenario is that you die of a sexually transmitted disease. The more likely scenario is is that as you get more and more selfish, you destroy every real relationship in your life because you're just taking and taking and taking. And the lie of Satan and the conform, the shape, the mold of this world is that if you just take and take and take, you'll be happy. But this, this secular author got it. You take and you take and you take, And you finish the meal and you're just as hungry and your lusts are not settled. And so Paul says, as you follow Christ and you take seriously his words that real living comes not from getting, but from giving, (laughs) not from just trying to survive, but from serving others. As you follow Christ 
in that way, you won't look like the shape of the world because you're actually the very opposite. You realize my life's not about me and my happiness. My life's about pleasing God and because of God's love, serving others, not for their approval, but just out of an unconditional love for them. And there's this irony that when we do that, we get a fulfillment that we don't get a lasting fulfillment when we seek first ourselves. So do not, be, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. I love that they says any longer, you know, because these believers in Rome, they all were from the pattern of the world before they trusted in Christ. And we're all from the pattern of the world before we trust in Christ. And those of you who grew up in a Christian home, you're in a tricky position because in your heart, there's a sinful nature that still wants to take the pattern of the world, but your parents are shaping around you what it looks like to follow Christ. And you have to decide for yourself, am I going to, am I going to swallow the lies of this world that, that, that I can find the most sexual pleasure outside of a marriage when God says I can find the most sexual pleasure inside a marriage, which one are you going to believe? You got, to, you got to decide for yourself. You got to decide for yourself. Is, is what Jesus said true? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Tra- transformed, that's the word metamorphosis. It's like the word for a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? As you keep renewing your mind in scripture, as you keep gathering with other believers, Every time you have a a desire or an impulse, you give it to God and you say, God, help me to fulfill this desire your way. Help me to live your way. As you do that one day at a time and you're gathering with other believers, believers, either in a community group or, or just other men or women who you know and you're being real about your life, you're slowly, one day at a time, you're transforming your life by transforming your thoughts. Well, it's then that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is or his desire, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So question, do you want a stable, peaceful mind? Well, then then start offering your life as an act of worship to serve God and others. Do you want to break free from the traps that ensnare so many people around us? Well, then, then start offering your life as an act of worship, as a living sacrifice. Do you want to know God's will and desire for your life? Well, then start giving your life in an act of worship, the act of serving. Serving God from the heart. See, serving breaks me out of the mold of this me-focused world. And there's just no substitute for physically, actually serving others and in your heart doing it as unto God. There's just, there's no substitute for it. It will, it will physically get you out of the mold of this world, which says that I live for me and I take and the people around me all exist to make me happy. And we can try in our hearts to say, you know, in my heart, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Jesus. And that's a good start. But if you really want your heart to get out of the mold, then just step out of it. (laughs) Physically get out of it. By, By taking a day or an afternoon or a consistent time in your schedule when you could be serving yourself and instead you serve others. 
Again, you're probably not going to hear this too many other places. Can you think of a time in your life when you experienced this? I mean, we saw it with the Zambia team when they returned from Zambia, and they're just so fulfilled, so joyful, many of them in tears. Why? Well, not because they were on a Royal Caribbean cruise and nothing wrong with a Royal Caribbean cruise or Disney. There's nothing wrong with those things, right? But the people who came back from Zambia, they were so overjoyed. They were so filled with joy, not because they'd been pursuing their own joy, but because they had laid down their lives for others. When we offer our lives as living sacrifices, we break out of the mold or pattern of this world. So here's a question for you. Do you have any consistent, ongoing, scheduled ways in your life routine? When you go through a a Sunday to a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the days of the week, is there a time in there? Is there just one time in there that's scheduled in where you're serving, uh, hopefully you're serving in your home, but, but maybe even beyond your home? And for some of you, maybe that's the start today, is just serving within your home and not being just a taker in your house, but also a giver. But, but, but serving in our home is great, but the irony is the more you serve your spouse and the other people who live in your house, the better it is for you. So, so how about even beyond your home? Is, is, there a, is there like once a week or consistently, is there a way that you're serving others and you don't necessarily get a paycheck for it, or even a pat on the back for it. You're just, you're laying down your life as an act of worship. You're doing it to God, for God, and it's something that's consistent and ongoing. You put this truth this way, living for myself and my happiness brings emptiness. Sacrificing to serve others brings fulfillment. And those of you, uh, those young people, I talked about you guys earlier, you're growing up in a Christian home. In your heart, you've got these desires to conform to the shape of this world, what it says about sexuality, what it says about money, what it says about pleasure. And everywhere you turn, it's lies. It's lying to you. You hear it's lies everywhere. And it says, seek yourself first, seek your pleasure first. That's where fulfillment is. I'm telling you guys, the 32 kids in my class, I mean, this is just real life, okay? There's, there's a group of us who have given our lives to serve others. Are we perfect? No. I mean, you guys know me. You know, you know we're not perfect, okay? But here's the irony. All of us who've done that, we've got healthy marriages. We know our, our, our kids well. I, I can tell you honestly, I'm fulfilled in my life because I have given up opportunities to make money or do other things to serve God's people. And I'm not lifting myself up. I'm demonstrating this text and this truth. It's just a fact. And I just have to tell that to you young people, because when you wrestle through these things, you have these sexual impulses. You have these other impulses that are natural and they're normal. You're not a sinner for having those impulses. And this world says Follow every impulse you have and it will make you fulfilled, but instead it will make you empty. It will make you a shell. Deny yourself, live for God, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
He will give you fulfillment and pleasures that this world doesn't, it claims to have them, but it doesn't have them. Living for myself and my happiness brings emptiness. Sacrificing to serve others brings fulfillment. Jesus said this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, in other words, I'm not going to live for my pleasure. I'm not going to live for my glory. I'm not going to live for my desires. That's the person who finds their life. I wonder, do you believe Jesus' words when he says that? Do you believe him? It's a life principle that I try to live out, and it's that whenever I disagree with Scripture, I have to tell myself it is for my good to trust God's word more than I trust myself. And this is one of those times. Do you really believe that when God says, if you lay down your life, if you lose your life, if you stop seeking your own joy and satisfaction and security, you'll find it? If you put others first and put God's first, do you really believe that? This is an interesting context here in Matthew 16 because Jesus has just told the disciples, hey, for me to fulfill God the Father's purpose for me, I'm going to be handed over to the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm going to be tortured and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to lay down my life for the saving of of mankind. And you might remember the story because Peter says, no, no, Jesus, it can't be like that. Jesus, you're so good. You do these miracles. You're awesome. You can't die. And do any of you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's this sharp response from Jesus. Why does Jesus have such a sharp response to Peter just saying, no, Jesus, you don't have to die on the cross. Why does he say, get behind me, Satan? Well, because if you look back at Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, Jesus and Satan are literally together in the desert. And Satan says to Jesus, Jesus, you don't have to go through all that pain and suffering. Why don't you take a shortcut? Why don't you try to achieve greatness without self-sacrifice? Satan will always tell you, you can achieve fulfillment and greatness without dying to yourself. And Jesus says, no, no, the only way to achieve true greatness, the only way to achieve true fulfillment is to die to yourself. It's the only way to do it. So when Peter says, no, Jesus, you don't have to die on the cross. Jesus says that Peter, that is literally, that is, that idea is from Satan. That idea that you don't have to die to yourself is from the enemy. It's from the liar. It's from the deceiver. He wants you to think that if you seek yourself first, you'll have a life of pleasure, but you'll actually have an eternity of torment in hell. So Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan, because I have to step out and follow my father in the life of service and humility and pouring myself out and giving myself for others. If you were here last week, you heard from Barbara Mwansa. Barbara, who's over in Zambia, running these great ministries that we're getting to partner with. There's a, a 
a crisis pregnancy area for women who would have abortions. And then for those children, there's an orphanage. And then from the orphanage, there's a feeding center because there's lots of other young kids around who are starving. And then from the feeding center, there's a discipleship ministry for young men. And from that, there's a church. And we're getting to partner with this holistic ministry that is meeting people's physical needs to give them the good news of Christ. It's a place where we can go and do good works and share the good news. Uh, We're so excited for it. We were at lunch with Barbara, a few of us, after that service. And I asked her about her testimony, and there's this incredible detail that she didn't tell us that I don't think she ever would have told us unless we asked. I asked her what she did before she started this ministry. Barbara was college educated and had a job in the capital city of Zambia at the National Bank of Zambia. Now, if you've been to a third world country, there is an income gap in those countries. We talk in America about the one percenters, What Barbara hasn't told us is that she was a one percenter in Zambia before she gave it all up. I mean, it's literally one in a million people in a country like that who can have a good, consistent job at a bank in the capital city. That is one in a million person job. And Barbara walked away from that to seek first the kingdom of God, to care for the orphans and the widows, to, to, to teach the good news of salvation in Christ. That's what he called her to do. She sought first the kingdom of God. Now, if you heard Barbara talk, do you think, is Barbara an unfulfilled person or is Barbara a fulfilled person? Is Barbara someone who, who thinks, man, I'm just kind of surviving in life. I'm not really living. No, Barbara is really living. Why? Because she's giving. She's giving herself. She's pouring out herself. The most fulfilled people I know are not people who own dozens of vacation homes. And I do know some of those people. They're not people who've spent their lives filling themselves. The most fulfilled people I know are the people who've spent their lives emptying themselves for others. And my parents, just like me, my parents are not perfect, but they're a great example of this. They're in their late 60s. They don't have much set aside for their retirement. But they've got a lot of lives that they've changed. They've got a lot of souls that are going to be in heaven with them. And I've never heard my parents say, and I know that they don't ever wonder, are we just surviving? They are really living. (laughs) Because every night of the week, they're out of the house and they're investing in a young couple that's about to get divorced or in someone who doesn't yet know Christ. They, They just have lived a life of giving themselves to others, and the irony is that they're so much more fulfilled. Well, the good news is it's not too late for any of us to start really living, to start giving. If you're still breathing, it's not too late to stop surviving and start living. God brought you here to hear this. You can put this irony this way. If I don't make time to serve others, I won't have time to be fulfilled. It just works that way. If I don't make time to fill others, I'll find myself empty. This is a secret to a meaningful or fulfilled life. That's part of why you hear us say here a lot that there's a, a, we call it the big three. 
gather on Sunday, get into a group, and serve. Why do we say that? Well, because after five and a half years for me of doing this, I've just seen it over and over and over again. The people who are serving consistently are growing spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually, if you really want to take some steps with God, if you really want to see some forward movement in your life, start serving. I'll give just a few examples of this from our congregation. Many of you know Don and Joanne Wallace. I think Don and Joanne are in their early 80s. And if you've got a program today, it's Don and Joanne who folded that program. Don and Joanne are in their early 80s, and um, they'd probably be the first to tell you they're not going to be running laps around a, a track and field track anytime soon, okay? But every weekend, we've had weekends where one of them has had back surgery, and they still say, bring the bulletins over for us to fold. And they fold your program. And, and it's, you know, in their 80s, they're serving, they're giving. And when you talk to Don and Joanne, there's this joyfulness in them. There's this life in them. We also have eight-year-olds here who serve. We've got families on set up and tear down and other ministries where the dad will get up in the morning to come set up here and, and get up his son up with him and say, come on, son, let's go get some donuts and let's go serve together. I was talking with one of those dads last night and I was saying, hey, thanks for, thanks for doing that. And he was like, what do you mean? We should be thanking you guys. This is, it's so fulfilling. It's so fun. And it's so great to see our hearts catching the heart of service as we serve together with them. We have so many stories that I could tell you guys about people serving at Cornerstone and growing as well as people serving at Cornerstone and being blessed in the process. Uh, for example, uh, on our worship team, there's a gal whose car broke down. She did not have a car. And, and at their worship team practice, she just shared that with the rest of the worship team. And someone else on her serve team said, well, we've got an extra car. Why don't you just use it for a while? And she used it for a while. Why don't you just have it? You know, it's this irony. You seek others first. You serve others. And God meets your need and he fulfills you. It doesn't mean your life is perfect but it means you're, you're not just surviving anymore. You're actually living. Well, I want to celebrate um, uh, some of our servants here. There's lots of ways to serve around here. And some of you have a consistent way of serving, and it's outside of the walls of Cornerstone. It's maybe at the Community Pregnancy Center or somewhere else. Uh, last night, we had an event for uh, people who serve here consistently. There's about 270 of you who are on one of our serve teams, whether it's set up and tear down or uh, working with the youth group or in nursery or audiovisual or worship or security or ushering. And there's a bunch of other teams that I'm forgetting or not mentioning right now. Okay, there's about 270 of you, and, and uh, we tried to invite all of you last night to an event. We had about 100 folks there, and, and I want to just ask you, as you watch some pictures from last night, and the point of these pictures, uh, this was kind of not planned, but last night was so much fun, and I thought, people need to see how fun it is to serve, how life-giving it is to serve. So, so we're going to play a little slideshow, and you're going to hear a reflective song. But as that plays, I want you to, if you can, if you've got a program, pull this card out. And, and there's a space on this serve card where you can write your name and however you'd like to be contacted. 
And when we take our offering at the end of the service, you can drop this card in there. Is it in there? Everyone got it? Okay, good. I'm, I'm seeing some of them. Okay. All right. So as this is going, what we'd like to know is how can we help you move from surviving to really living? How can we help you start consistently serving? Having a life, it's just part of your life rhythm and routine that you've got a, a scheduled way that you're serving and you're doing it from the heart. And it might be that you start as a greeter and you, you end up doing hospital visits with Pastor Dan. Or you might start um, on setup and tear down and end up running the lights. Or, or who knows, it doesn't mean that you're locked into this one thing, okay? But the question is, you know, what do you have to offer? Where, where's one place that you could start serving? Or if you're serving consistently at the community pregnancy center or some other place, you can write your name and contact info and write that on there because we'd love to know that. And we celebrate that. Uh, we've got people in our church family who have orphanages in India. We've got people in our church family who do all sorts of things for the kingdom of God outside of Cornerstone. So if you're serving somewhere else, please let us know that. But if you're, if you're not yet serving consistently somewhere, this is a first step that you can take that's really a pretty easy step, but it's an important step. It's a step in your heart that says, I'm gonna get outside of myself. I'm gonna die to myself a little bit and say that I'd be willing to consider the security team. I'd be willing to consider being a home group host. Be willing to consider being a greeter. And what will happen after you fill this out is you'll get in touch with someone who loves you, who cares about you, who's not going to twist your arm. If you're a, you know, antisocial introvert, you, we're not going to force you to be a greeter, okay? Or get up here and give a speech, okay? There's a, there's a place that fits you. There's a place that fits your gifts. And if you have a gifting and you don't see it on here, just write what it is. Uh, someone once wrote on here, um, I'm an electrical engineer. Well, he's up running the lights now, you know, and just hadn't realized this lighting system here is way more complex than any of us could figure out. He figured it out for us, you know. So, so if you've got a skill set and you don't see it here, just write what it is. I can do this. I can do that. Okay. So, so go ahead um, and, and just do that and pray and let God work in your heart uh, as, we, as we watch this little video. Last night we were able to celebrate, yeah. One of the things I, I forgot to mention last week is that this year Cornerstone will give to missions around the world, to global rescue. The amount we'll give this year is more than our combined operating budget was five years ago in 2008. And I, I told that to the group last night because it's because of you. It's because if you're contributing, if you're giving, it's because of you. It's not because of the preaching. It's obviously not because of our facility. It's not because of anything else that what was a group of 40 people is now a group of more than 800 people, that we see dozens of salvations a year, that we've seen marriages changed, that we've seen people freed from addictions, that, that our impact around the world is multiplying every year. It's because of the people who serve. So if you're not yet serving or if you want to serve somewhere else, as we take the offering, you can drop that card in there. Why? Because if you're not giving, you're not living. If you're not, if you're not giving yourself, you're not really living life. And that is often why it feels like we're just surviving and not 
really living. So as this offering comes by, uh, it's a time to contribute financially if you're part of our church family. It's a time to give your life as an act of worship by saying, God, I'm willing to, cons- to start serving on one of these teams. Our goal as you attend Cornerstone, there's kind of these three circles, is that you start out curious, maybe curious about Jesus, or maybe you've got some wounds in your life, and and as you're curious, you keep coming more and you get committed, and eventually you move from that committed circle into the core. The core is people who are serving and giving, who are at the middle of it, and if you're not in the core yet, for some of you, that's the move today. Is You're kind of committed here, you call this your church home, but today you can move into the core, you can start to really be part of what God is doing. So I'm going to pray for our offering, and as it comes, you can drop that serve card in there, give your life as an act of worship, a living sacrifice. Would you pray together with me? Father, we thank you that we get to give back to you. Thank you that we get to serve you. Lord, I thank you that in dying to myself to follow you, I have found the most fulfilling thing that this world has to offer, that eternity has to offer. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will make us a people who are not just takers, but who are givers, who are not seeking first ourselves, but who are serving you and others. Lord, I want that for my brothers and sisters here. I know you want that because you want to see us joyful. You want to see us not surviving, but living. So Lord, help us today to stop surviving and to start living and to take a step to start serving from our hearts, giving our lives as living sacrifices. So we we drop these cards in as an act of worship, not to please people, but to please you and to tell you that we love you. In light of your great mercy and love for us, we give up our lives as living sacrifices to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.